Now you're good. Hey, y'all. Uh, like Derek said, my name's uh, William, and I, yeah, I'm just so delighted to be here. Um, it's our second time being here at Hope New Braunfels, and we just we just love, we love being here with y'all. We love uh, the worship here, and y'all are just so friendly. So thank y'all for being so welcoming. I'm William, this is my wife, uh, Catherine, uh, right here, and we've got uh, our two daughters uh, terrorizing your nursery workers. So thanks for, uh, thanks to them for taking that, that hit. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, like Derek said, I work with college students, um, and when I think about you know, there's a few things that are at the heart of um, what we're trying to do with RUF. And um, one of them is, is this, and it's uh, summarized in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Right? This idea that the, the fear of the Lord, this relationship, this, um, this real unfeigned relationship with the Lord actually stands at the heart of any education. It stands at the, the heart, the foundation of like what any real true human life uh, should look like. And so that's why we're so intent here at, um, at for, for us at RUF that we want to put that wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, in front of students in their time in college so that their education uh, could be wrapped up in him and his truth claims, right? College students need that, and so do we. Um, so let's, let's read. Let's get some wisdom this morning. All right, so we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse one. Let's pray first. Uh, Lord, um, we could uh, read this all day and walk away from it unchanged and come to us. And we know that you are pleased to have your word and your spirit joined, that this word has spirit power in it. And so something unique is happening here. That can't happen with any other writing in the world because we get to encounter you. We get to encounter spirit here. And so through that, Lord, would you make us wise, wise unto salvation, wise unto a true knowledge of you. All right, let's read. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. 
For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Okay, so I'm going to ask, has anybody heard the name Jordan Peterson? Do y'all know who that is? Okay, a few, a few hands. If you don't, so he's a Canadian uh, psychologist. I, I don't know if he's really been making many splashes recently, but he gained a lot of notoriety and a big following, actually, especially among uh, young men uh, for kind of repackaging and representing an ancient Greek philosophy called Stoicism. So it's kind of Stoicism for the modern age, if you will. Um, but, you know, w- one of the things that a lot of just cultural commentators, Christian commentators, uh, were saying is that kind of what his rise in popularity kind of revealed was that we live in a secular culture that in a lot of ways has, has thrown off a lot of traditional structures and traditional ways of thinking about right, wrong, morality, that what it's done is it's left a lot of people, and especially you know, a lot of young men, maybe in uh, the case of Jordan Peterson, left a lot of them kind of reeling as they try to figure out how to navigate life, right? Just like how to find purpose in life, how to know what's right, what's wrong, and so something like even a repackaged old thing like Stoicism, it for so many people, it's felt like, yeah, finally something that I can sink my teeth into, like something that can help me navigate life through its tragedies, right, through its confusing things, um, help me to find purpose. You know, it's, it's the same reason why maybe so much like self-help books and gurus can be so popular. Because at the end of the day, what are all those things trying to do? They're trying to paint some kind of picture of this is what the good life is. This is what the good life looks like. And kind of here's the map. Here's the compass for how you get there. Okay? So it's all purporting itself to be wisdom. But here's the thing. The Proverbs insist that actual true wisdom, like wisdom that has a bead on what the good life actually is, is found in a foundation with a right relationship with the Lord, right? This fear of the Lord idea. That's the foundation for true, skilled navigation of life, otherwise known as wisdom. So let's, what we're going to do this morning is from Proverbs chapter 3, just look at what does a relationship then with this living and true God look like that we might uh, have wisdom, that we might have a skilled navigation of life. All right, so we're going to look just three things from our passage this morning about what what does a relationship with this God looks like? Well, it looks like uh, we must pay attention to God's law. We must pay attention to God's grace. And then lastly, God's discipline. So what does it look like? So first, God's law. Uh, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Uh, so commentators, they'll, they'll note that what Proverbs um, takes the form of literarily 
is basically a um, like a father speaking to his son, and specifically, it's supposed to look like the the king, the king kind of speaking to the princes and maybe just other. Uh, members of the Israelite royal court to impart on them great wisdom. And so then these commandments and these laws, this isn't like this father figure, this king figure, kind of imparting just his personal rules for the household or something like that. Because what did the king always have with him at the throne? He had a copy of God's law that he read every single day. So this is God's law, God's commands um, that, that this father figure is wanting his people to pay attention to. So part of what a wise life, part of what a relationship with God looks like is obeying the commandments, knowing them, living in them. That is good, long, peaceful life. And let me let me push this out a little further because when I was doing the research for this and um, reading a commentator, uh, it was kind of it was one of those mind blown moments because I'd never thought about this before. Uh, but he was saying not not only is you know this this imagery of vats overflowing with wine and long life and peace of year, it's not just talking about uh, wisdom. Uh, kind of attaining the good life in the life here and now. That it's actually pointing out even further to the idea of the life to come, the, the new heavens, new earth life. And I was just, oh man, that's so good. Because, right, like you read some of these things, like do blank and this will happen to you. Like I do a pretty good job of investing. I've never had, you know, my barn's overflowing with wine. You can feel in this, there's a little bit of maybe uh, exaggeration. But the exaggeration is because it's the idea of the exaggeration of the new heavens uh, and new earth that we're waiting for. So we can ask, and maybe you're asking. I think it's a, a fine thing to ask. Is the Proverbs setting up like this situation where like we obey and we do good unto God and then we kind of get rewarded with stuff now, but then especially like we have to kind of obey to get some kind of heavenly reward or even heaven itself. Here's what it's saying. So, and we're going to talk about this more in a moment. The way a relationship with God works is that he moves towards sinful people and he is gracious to them and he rescues them and he brings them to himself and gives them eternal life. And so that eternal life we're promised in the new heavens and new earth is full. It's perfect. It's sinless. And so how do we know what sin is and what sin is not? God's law, right? God's commandments. So we know coveting. You know, things like, oh, like I wish, like I wish my body looked like her body. Or like her, her, her clothes are so cute. I love them. And like I, just, I would give anything to just have clothes, be able to fit mine like her. And oh, I just hate myself. And right, covening is gone. That doesn't exist in the new heavens and new earth, right? Taking the Lord's name in vain. There's no such thing anymore as... I just feel this struggle of I, I, like I know I talk the talk. I say I'm a Christian. I really am. I love Jesus, 
but when I'm just kind of out in my day-to-day life or at work and I'm having conversations with people, I look back and I reflect on, you know, what I just said. And did that show that I believe in anything more than just what the secular society or world around me believes in? I just believe that I really believe in the, the power of God in this world and his grace in my life, right? That's gone. In heaven, we all perfectly walk the walk and we all perfectly talk the talk. So what I'm getting at is wisdom dictates. Wisdom dictates if that we have guaranteed for us that kind of perfect, that vision of the good life that the commandments lay out and that we know what God loves, we know what he hates, we know what we're destined for, that we can live into that future good life now. And that's wisdom. That's wisdom, living in uh, a relationship with God now uh, in the way that we know he loves. That's, that's the real good life. Okay? God's law. So now what? Well, we already started talking about it, a relationship with God looks like living according to grace, God's grace. Uh, Proverbs 3, 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bound them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Um, So the picture being painted here, these concepts of steadfast love and faithfulness. You, you've probably heard this before. Uh, that word steadfast love in the Hebrew is the super Hebrew sounding word chesed, right? With the good uh, kind of phlegm in there. And what that, what chesed means is like loyal, loyal, blood bought covenant love. Loyal, loyal, blood-bought covenant love. And that idea of faithfulness is attached to that too, this covenant love. And so at first blush, it can feel like, well, what is this saying? Is it saying, hey, if you just are fiercely loyal to people and honor contracts, that'll go well for you in life. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, there's something to that. But what what is this really saying? Well, if we were hearing this with, with Hebrew ears, if we were hearing this with ears that were, like, used to the Old Testament, then, like, our ears would immediately perk up at those two words, uh, steadfast love and faithfulness, because we would know that when the God of the Bible, when he tells people who he is and what he is like, He loves to use these words right here, or something like that. He says, I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and then what? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So you see, the Proverbs is painting the picture here of somebody that is so immersed in this idea of this gracious, gracious God that they like are wearing it around their neck, like the most precious jewelry they own. And not only is it this external thing, it's this thing that goes on the inside of them, right? It's like 
etched on their heart, right? So this person is just completely immersed inside and out with this idea of God's love, unmerited love. And so wisdom is knowing that a relationship with God um, looks like God loving you, not because you're nice, not because you're good, not because you obey his commandments even, but because he decided to set his love upon you without condition. Wisdom is knowing that that is what a relationship with God looks like. And then letting that get down so much in your bones that it becomes like the very lens through which you see all of life. You see your work, you see your family, you see what's going on in the news right now, even. That you actually let this idea of God's grace color everything for you. You know, uh, my daughter Lillian, uh, she loves, both of our daughters uh, really love Disney princess stuff. And their grandparents have been so gracious to fill our house with Disney princess dress up stuff, like tiaras, dresses, all that good stuff. And like, so there's times I'll walk into the living room, I'm like, uh, hey, Lillian. And she goes, Dad, I'm Elsa. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Elsa. You know, and um, I, I love it. I didn't realize how much I was going to love little girl stuff. I'm, I only had brothers, and now I only have daughters. Uh, and we've got one more girl uh, on the way, uh, which is exciting to me. And I love it. I love telling my girls that they are princesses. Uh, in God's kingdom, because they are. And um, one of the cool perks that I've seen of like my daughters really embracing this princess thing is, you know, after months and months and months of telling Lillian, like, get your elbows off the table, please eat over your plate, sit up, you know, over and over and over again. One day she sat down to lunch and she informed me, Daddy, princesses don't eat with their elbows on the table. And I said, you're right, that's great. And so she just sat up straight, ate nicely. What happened? Well, she was just so immersed in being a princess and how cool that is and how fun that is that she let it even get down into her table manners. And if you have young children, you know that is like a ground-shattering, transformative uh, thing. And God wants the same thing for us as we think about his grace. He wants the unmerited love he bestows on us to so shape us and form us that we just, it just oozes out of us into the world. And so uh, there's all kinds of different examples we could give of what that looks like in day-to-day life. But we'll just use the example that the passage gives us on, on money. When you think about moving uh, the ball down the field financially, like whether it's saving for kids' college or just making sure you're having a full contribution to your IRA or whatever it is, uh, I'll be the first to admit that when I look at the chunk of cash that we give to our local church and that we give to missionaries and give to other campus ministers, like I have thought on multiple occasions 
you know, like we could really get our finances moving in a place that I'd prefer if we just took that cash and put it in other investments, right? Because there's something inside me that still believes that life would be better for me if I could just afford more or have more. But God is asking us to not see things through our eyes. He's asking us to actually understand this world through his and to trust him and to believe things like, you know, maybe I can just find sufficiency in what God thinks about me and what God says about me rather than what my bank account says about me or what, you know, buying things and doing things makes other people think about me and see in me. Right, that's the way that God's grace gets inside of us and changes us, informs us, and shapes us. But it's hard <laughs> because it's not natural for us. It's not the way, it's not our just kind of go-to natural bent. God has to get his hands on the wheel of our heart and actually yank us towards grace. Um, and so that leads us maybe to kind of one of the hardest parts when we think about a relationship with God and we think about wisdom in this world, which is the idea that we're in a relationship with a God who disciplines, who actually disciplines. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And I would just be the first to say, I don't like that. I don't like it. My wife will tell you, and I will admit, I'm a spoiled brat. I, I am the oldest child. I was doted on by my, my parents and my grandparents. I'm a millennial, you know. Um, I grew up in the age of participation trophies, and I love participation trophies. Those are the best. We go to like the pizza place and get participation. You know, I get like most improved award. You know, that's like that's the worst one. Um, so, uh, but I loved it. I loved every second of it. And uh, I do not like anything that feels like critique. I don't like anything that feels like correction because it makes me feel bad. And I don't, and I don't like to feel bad. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm working on that. And God's working on that. Um, and my wife's happy about that. And, uh, you know, you and I, we need to be able to start to embrace the idea that whether, it, whether it's us bumping into the consequences of our own sins, bumping into the consequences of our own idolatry, or maybe it's just even God walking us through what feels to us like unnecessary hardship or suffering, that it's, it is not God saying, I don't love you. It's not God removing his grace from you. It actually is God affirming his love. It's actually proof that he loves you and that he refuses to, you know, let us continue to stay the same. His grace actually loves us enough to change us and transform us into something better. 
But how can we know that? How can we know that for sure? That when we go through hard things, that it's not God uh, being displeased with us. Well, here's how we can be sure of that. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? His son, his son that took, took a real, true human body, the second person of the Trinity, eternal son of God, came and he lived the most absolute perfect relationship with the Father. You want to talk about God's law? He pulled it off perfectly, flawlessly. And yet God disciplined him, as uh, Isaiah uh, says, with, with the stripes of men. Right? He let his son, Jesus, go to the cross and be disciplined. Right? Not, not because of his sin, but actually for ours, that we might be cleansed, so that he could actually show that grace to us by removing the foolishness and the sin from us, that it could be destroyed, right? And so that means when, when we suffer in this life and when we're disciplined, it can't be, it can never be because God doesn't love us because Jesus already handled it. And in him, we are beloved sons. We are beloved daughters. And so it's just God pushing us deeper and further into a relationship with his son and forming us and shaping us after his image. And that's it, right? That is the true wisdom of God, knowing Jesus, right? The apostle Paul said this of Jesus, that he became to us wisdom from God. Right? Do you want wisdom? Do you want to be able to navigate this life well, do you want to get tapped into what the true, real good life is now and forevermore? The beginning and end of wisdom is found in knowing God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Consider that an invitation to ask this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, um, you know, for those in the room this morning, uh, whether it's for the millionth time, or maybe it's for the very first time, um, we ask for wisdom. We ask to know you, as Derek uh, already talked about this morning, that we were made for relationship with you. That's what we were created for. And in so many ways, our, our sin has just dislodged us and disintegrated us into just ways of being and ways of thinking. They're just not right. They're poison to us, and they're poison to the people around us. And so we ask, we ask for wisdom. Help us, Lord, to know the deep, deep wells of your love for us that we might then go and pour that out 
and show it to our friends, show it to our coworkers, show it to our family. Man, what a cool drink of water it would be to those around us to just have you pour your grace out on us in a transformative way. And so we ask, knowing that you are so happy to give us your son. Give us your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.